Good morning. Uh, Would you take a moment to uh, relax and take a breath and be thankful that you didn't have to do either of those Bible readings uh, and say thank you to those who did. Um, As you take a breath though and as you relax, um, let me ask you, where do you feel most relaxed? Uh, Where do you feel most secure? Where do you feel uh, truly safe? Uh, Maybe for a lot of us that is our homes or maybe the homes that we uh, grew up in. Um, And so as you think about that, you can perhaps kind of understand how painful it is then if those things are taken away, um, if you've ever had to leave your home, I know some of us here this morning have had to do that, or if you've lost your home, if it's uh, been broken into, or if it's damaged in some way, that sudden loss of security and safety is overwhelming at points. And if you can relate to that feeling in any way, then perhaps you can relate to some of the people in our passage here in Genesis chapter 14. Because here we meet at least 10 people who lose their security, who think that they were safe, but find out that that security is only a false security. And we meet one person who decides to give up trying to control everything, trying to make himself secure, and finds true and real and lasting safety in God. Uh, Let's pray though um, as we open up God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that amongst unfamiliar places and unfamiliar names, you are the same God. Help us today as we come to your word again to see you more clearly, to trust in you more completely, and to live for you more fully. Amen. Uh, We're going to split the chapter in two, um, just as we did with our reading earlier, um, under two headings. Firstly, we're going to look at false security in verses uh, 1 to 12, before we look at where we find true security uh, in verses 13 to 24. So firstly, false security in verses 1 to 12. Trying to control everything ourselves only leads to a false sense of security. Uh, Before we understand what that means, though, we need to do a little bit of um, Near Eastern military history, so uh, bear with me for a minute. Um, Here we've got in, I think, uh, verse 1 in the blue corner, uh, the four kings of Babylon. They're the kings of Shinar, of Elisar, of Elam, and of Goim. Uh, They are Babylonian kings, and they're regional kings. They're sort of in charge of um, sort of city-states. Uh, and for the past 12 years, they've been, uh, they've been ruling over the kings that we learn about in verse 2, the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela. Uh, these are regions around, uh, it names it here, the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea, so they're the, they're the Dead Sea kings. Um, and they've kind of come to an agreement with the kings of Babylon that they'll work together, but they're kind of under their rule, they're vassal kings, they've got to pay tribute to them. Uh, verse 4, uh, Kedalorimah, king of Elam, is the leader of the Babylonian kings. He's got these five Dead Sea kings underneath him. Uh, but in the 13th year of this arrangement, uh, the Dead Sea kings think, we've had enough of this, and they rebel. Uh, verses 5 to 11 then are essentially a history of the Babylonian kings systematically putting down this revolt by the Dead Sea kings and carrying off anyone who has dared to rebel against them and putting them in exile. Uh, And though these names and the places might be less familiar to us, uh, the situation certainly isn't, is it? Warring partners, uneasy alliances, battles for control of land and resources. 
And the point is this. No one is really in total control. No one is really safe. Uh, The Babylonian kings, they thought that they were on top, uh, but then their subjects rebelled. The Dead Sea kings thought that they could um, rebel and win their freedom, but in the end they were put down and they were exiled. But in verse 12, uh, the story moves from uh, kings and uh, areas and city-states and regions, and it gets very personal. Verse 12 says this, They, that's the Babylonian kings, also took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. If you hear last week, uh, then uh, what Ken was preaching on when Lot and Abraham uh, separated, they were having some uh, disputes, um, particularly around their, their herds and their wealth and their possessions. And Abraham said, well, Lot, you choose. You go where you want, and I'll go the other way, and we'll put some distance between us. And so Lot chose the well-watered Jordan Valley, a place which looked like the best conditions to grow his wealth, to grow his family, to achieve security, but which we read was compromised spiritually. Now though we read that Lot and all his family are exiles and they've been caught up in a violent civil war. Lot though has done what many people, and I guess which many of us attempted to do, He sought to build a life for himself and for his family. He's looked at the resources that he has, looked at the map, and he's tried to be strategic. In the same way that we might look at our resources, our our money or our intellect or our our charm or physical strength, whatever else we might have available to us. And we turn our hands to build a career or to build a home or to build a pension port, a family, a legacy... We build a moat around our lives and then see if we can pull up the drawbridge behind us. And it's not to say that those things in and of themselves are wrong. However, just like these kings and Lot found to their cost, our attempts to hold tightly onto the things that we think that we control, our resources, our skills, our money, and to build and to store away these things, well, they're always fallible. It's always limited. Many of us will have heard this week, in fact, we we prayed for it earlier, didn't we, Um, about King Charles uh, receiving a a cancer diagnosis. Even with access to the best healthcare in the world, with riches and with honour, he's still vulnerable. And we all are, aren't we? Uh, The great job that we secure is subject to a restructure. Health is diagnosed away. Pension gets eaten by inflation. Whatever it is, we all know that the security that we try and build, it's limited. In the New Testament, in Matthew 6, verse 19, it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Our security is only ever a false security. It's limited We need to realize that the control that we think that we have is an illusion. The security that we build for ourselves is vulnerable. It is uncertain. So if that's true, then, well, if our security is always ultimately vulnerable, then what do we do? I mean, do we just give up? Do we just take each day as it comes? Or is there a way to find real and lasting security? Is there a a place where we are truly safe? 
What foundations are there that we can build on and know that they won't fail? Well, that's what I hope we'll see in the second half of the passage in verses 13 to 24, where we see true security. And that it's only by recognizing that it's God who's really in control uh, that we can lead to blessing, freedom, and true security. Let's pick the story up in verse 13. Uh, an escapee from the Babylonian exile finds Abraham and he tells him what's happened to Lot. He's been carried off into exile. In verse 14, it says this. When Abraham heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions, and the women, and the people. This is incredible, isn't it? Uh, Abraham hears the news about his kinsman, hears the news about Lot, and thinks, I'm going to sort this out. And so he launches this daring nighttime mission with a, a tiny number of men against these great Babylonian armies. I mean, maybe that's what we really need for safety and security, isn't it? It's not, maybe not just our resources, but a big brother. You know, someone who can come in, sweep in, and save the day. We need to attach ourselves to somebody like that. Somebody who can provide us with the backing, with the resources to make us safe. And after this dare and rescue, we see Abraham going to uh, what's known as the King's Valley in verse 17. Uh, he's shown himself to be a powerful leader. Uh, it's almost like he is a king now. Uh, and the king of Sodom rides out to meet him there. And in verse 21, he offers him a deal. And he goes, Abraham, I'm, I'm impressed. I, I tell you what, if you give me the people and accept my rule, then I'm going to make you really rich. Got an ad the other day um, scrolling through uh, social media. Um, it was inviting me to uh, join a day trading company uh, and promising that you know, that was going to be the way to secure your future. But it says it's not, not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's different, this one. This person who's on it is a, is a wholesome guy looking after his family. He already had a good job. He wanted to spend more time with his family. So he didn't want to go out to work. He wanted to stay at home uh, and, and trade shares. Because, of course, share traders are always people with loads of time for their family. <laughs> but you get these kind of offers, don't you? They're not as obvious, maybe, as the get-rich-quick schemes. But there's always something saying, this is going to do it. This is the thing that's going to make you safe. This is the thing that's going to make your family secure. This is the thing that's going to make you uh, financially free. Or it's going to sort out your anxiety, or, or whatever it is. And really what's going on here with Abraham is just another version of that. It's another earth, version of the earthly promise of security via wealth and protection, which is meant to tempt Abraham to bow the knee to the king of Sodom. And if we just left it there, that would be, that would be pretty normal, pretty normal kind of account of military history in the Near East. There's some fighting some kings rebel, the other kings put them down. Abraham does something pretty amazing. They recognize his military prowess and they say, yeah, let's make a deal. Kind of how the world works. But it's not how Abraham works. Abraham doesn't take the deal. He won't bow the knee to the king of Sodom. Why? Because he's already bowed the knee to somebody else. He's already bowed the knee, not to the king of Sodom, but to the king of righteousness. Uh, let me explain because there's, there's something or someone who breaks into this passage that 
totally disrupts the natural order, who totally disrupts the negotiations, the attempts to control, the attempts to win victory, and who ultimately is the one who offers both Abraham and us lasting peace and safety. Uh, let's meet Melchizedek. Um, incidentally, whilst preparing for this, I, I read in a commentary that Melchizedek is the most complex subject in all of biblical studies, and yeah, he might be late for lunch. Um, <laughs> We haven't got that long. I can't say everything, but here's some of the things that we do know. Uh, firstly, Melchizedek comes completely out of the blue, it seems. Uh, if you've been here over the past few weeks as we've gone through Genesis, uh, you see that it is a book that is about family histories. Uh, so there's genealogies. Uh, so-and-so begets so-and-so. So-and-so begets so-and-so. Father of so-and-so. Father of so-and-so. And then it tells the story of that family. But Melchizedek doesn't get any of that. We don't know who his father was. We don't know where he's come from. You don't know anything of Melchizedek's lineage. He has, it seems, no beginning and no end. Second, Melchizedek is introduced to us as the king of Salem. That's not particularly helpful. There's quite a few places that are called Salem or a version of Salem nearby. And Salem, in fact, sounds a lot like Shalom the Hebrew word for peace. So perhaps it's more likely that Melchizedek has been introduced to us not as king of a particular place, but as the king of peace. Uh, third, Melchizedek isn't just a king here. Uh, if you look in verse 18, it describes him as priest of God most high. Now, if you know your uh, Old Testament law, you'll know that kings could not be priests uh, and vice versa. Indeed, uh, King Saul, one of the great kings, of the Old Testament got in a lot of trouble uh, for acting like a priest and doing things that only priests were allowed to do. So he's a king and he's a priest. Finally, the, the name Melchizedek literally means king of righteousness. So putting that all together, we've got a king of peace, of righteousness, who has no beginning or end, who is also a priest who offers us lasting peace through bread and wine, can you see where I'm going with this? If you're in any doubt, then look up to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 17, uh, which says of Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Something is going on here, uh, a sort of foreshadowing, a, a type, a prototype of Jesus is here 2,000 years before his birth. And listen to what he says to Abraham in verse 19, what he offers it says, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. The eternal priest king offers blessing to those who will bend the knee, not to the king of Sodom, but to God most high and live under his rule. You see, it might have looked in this uh, story at first glance like that it's Abraham who is the one who's riding in uh, to rescue but in reality, it is God most high, uh, possessor of heaven and earth, as he's referred to uh, two times in this passage. He was the one who's really in control. He's the one who delivers Abraham's enemies into his hands. It's tempting for us, isn't it, uh, to think that we're in control uh, some of the time. In fact, maybe quite often we feel like we are in control, at least, you know, kind of 80, 90%. But in reality, the only one who's really in control is God. 
Abraham recognizes this. He understands it. And so when the king of Sodom offers him shelter, offers him security, he says, I've already pledged myself. I've already agreed. I've already made a deal. I've already come under the rule of another king. I've pledged myself to, uh, second half of verse 22, the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Abraham, Abraham recognizes that it's God, not him who's in control. It's not his military prowess. It's not the way that he showed power in his daring rescue of Lot. It's not an alliance with the king of Sodom that will make him secure. No, God is fully in control, and it's only by submitting to his rule that we can be truly safe. That's the key to lasting security and safety, recognizing that it's not us in control, but God. And then choosing to hand over that control willingly to the one who isn't vulnerable to war, to job loss, to ill health, to thieves. This isn't an unwilling acceptance of reality. This isn't just the way things are. This isn't like uh, us saying, well, gravity is real, so just accept it. Look at the second half of verse 20 and the way that that Abraham responds to this offer of, uh, of blessing if he will submit to God's rule. It tells us that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first time in the Bible that we see people, um, what we refer to as tithing now, willingly uh, giving God back some of the things that he has ultimately given them. Uh, Abraham is responding uh, to the reality of God's control, not just with a, a shrug of the shoulders, with a just like, I guess that's the way it is. It's not a resentful, uh, unwilling, kind of coming under God's oppressive rule. No, Abraham responds to the offer of blessing and security and safety that God offers him with worship, with joy. And so that's the way that we should think about coming under God's rule. Not not something that we have to do, not something that's just kind of morally good, not a reality that we have to cope with. No, God's rule is joyful. Jesus describes the yoke of his rule as being light, It sets us free. It comes with the the promise of blessing and real and lasting peace. Uh, Remember uh, that Hebrews 7 told us that Jesus is a priest king after the order of Melchizedek. His rule as king was inaugurated by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The king that we submit to is the king of righteousness who lived a perfect sinless life The king that we submit to is the king of peace who won peace for us with God through sacrificing himself on the cross. The king that we submit to is an eternal king who invites us into abundant and everlasting life. So accepting God's God's rule in our lives is not like those Dead Sea kings uh, making a military agreement with the Babylonians, living in submission and servitude to them, having them rule over them oppressively. It's not even like Lot, who fortunately had a kinsman like Abraham who could come in and help sometimes. It's having the creator of the universe, the possessor of heaven and earth, bend to bless us. It's trusting the one who gave up the most precious thing to him, his only son, to death for us, to give us everything that we need. That's how we find true safety. That's how we find real security. 
How do we do that day to day? Well, just three things for us to finish with. Firstly, we need to acknowledge that we're not in control, but to trust that God is. It doesn't mean that we won't plan or that we won't build or that we won't make decisions about the future. But it does mean that we can stop holding on to those things so tightly, to thinking that those things are totally within our control, totally within our grasp, and then panicking in desperation when we find to our cost that they aren't. We can hand those things over to God prayerfully and we can trust him with our future. How freeing, how anxiety crushing is that? Secondly, like Abraham, we worship God with what he's given us. Abraham joyfully gave back a little bit of what God had graciously given to him. The task for us is to do the same, whether that's our time, whether it's our money, whether it's our skills and the abilities that God's given us. When we understand that really they're all God's in the first place, then it's natural for us to want to give back and to serve him. And thirdly, let's remember that Jesus is the true priest and king. He's the one who brings eternal and lasting peace, not just because he's in control of this life, but because he's brought peace between us and God, and so he controls what will happen in the next life. So that instead of facing God's punishment, which we deserve, we can enjoy and know his blessing. Sin is dealt with. Shame has been nailed to the cross. Eternal life is ours now and forever if only that we will trust in that better Melchizedek the eternal king Jesus if you're sitting here this morning and you've never done that before you've never bowed the knee to Jesus you've never said I know that I've rejected your rule I know that I've tried to be the king of my own life and I know that that was wrong I know that that's the heart of sin. I know that I need forgiveness, but that you offer me that through Jesus and his work on the cross. Then let today be the day. Speak to someone, someone who brought you along. Speak to Ken or or Bear myself. Speak to David. Let them show you what it means to have Jesus as your king and to enjoy the blessing and the peace that comes from that. Come and find the place where you are truly safe and you will be secure forever. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we confess that we spend so much of our lives trying to build security and safety for ourselves. Lord, we know in our heart of hearts that we can't do that, but so often we try. Lord, please help us to understand that you are in control and it's only by coming under your rule that we can truly be safe and we can truly be secure. Lord, thank you that your rule is not oppressive, but it is freeing. It's full of joy and abundant life. Lord, help us to come under that rule willingly and joyfully in each area of our lives and help us to worship you with everything that you have given us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.